Hi, I'm the Ish Girl, and you're listening to Episode 4 of Connection, Not Perfection. Welcome to Connection, Not Perfection, the podcast that helps parents and teens connect using literature, laughter, and love. there. Welcome back to Connection Not Perfection. I am your host, Amy Kelly, also known as the Ish Girl, and I could not be more excited about our episode today because we're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite books, A Wrinkle in Time. And I want to start the episode with a quote, and this is from Anna Quindlin, and it's part of a foreword that she wrote for a 2007 edition of A Wrinkle in Time. And this is what she said. The most memorable books from our childhoods are those that make us feel less alone, convince us that our own fobbles and quirks are both as individual as a fingerprint and as universal as an open hand. I wanted to share that because this book was one of those books for me. It made me feel less alone as a teen. And I firmly believe kind of along those lines that the characters and the books that affected you as you read them growing up are books that stay with you as friends. And as I mentioned at the end of my last episode, Meg Murray is still one of my best friends. Even as a 40-something, I still feel like that clumsy, awkward girl with glasses and a mouthful of braces. And truly, when I picked this book up and I met Meg, I felt like I found a kindred spirit. Now, I chose A Wrinkle in Time for this week's episode because not only do I love it, obviously, but the movie for A Wrinkle in Time, that is the newest version. It's the 2018 version that stars Oprah and Reese Witherspoon and several other big stars. Um, It actually opens this weekend. So I saw the movie last night. So for this episode, it's going to be a little bit longer than my normal episodes because at the end, once I've gone through the book and given you some great bonus questions, then I'll be sharing about the movie and how it compares to the book and kind of a review of what I thought about this newest version of Madeline Lingle's 1963 Newbery Award winning novel. Now, one of the reasons I love this book, and quite frankly, pretty much all of Madeline Lingle's books is the way that she writes about science and faith. And the way she writes them, they're not mutually exclusive, which I think is something sometimes the message that we get in our world today. Now, I feel like I need to share a little bit of backstory here because I am a person of faith and growing up, I was raised going to church and within that church, there were very loving people, but a lot of them didn't have the capacity to ponder the unknown or the unknowable even. And I was one of those kids who questioned the unknowable all the time. And I know that probably frustrated a lot of the people who were Sunday school teachers um, and school teachers even who wanted to have a pat answer or to be able to explain and were really uncomfortable sitting with um, the answer, I don't know, and let's look at it together. And it actually, the ones who were able to do that, the ones who stoked kind of imagination and those kinds of things, of course, that's why it made those teachers and adults in my life's life stand out because, because they could do that. And Madeline Lingle, discovering her, I would say was like finding water in the desert for me. It just, she her works just really fed my soul in a way that no other author of my childhood did. I'm sharing that with you because you might have a teen who has that 
sense of imagination and that sense of wonder and curiosity that makes them seek out answers to the unknown and the unknowable. And I want you to be able to lean into that and feel comfortable saying, hey, I don't know, but let's look at it and let's think about it and let's use our imaginations to to just have a really great conversation. Because as a kid, that's all I wanted. I didn't need answers. I didn't need definites. I just needed to be able to talk about all of these um, imaginings and ideas and thoughts that I had. The other thing that Madeline Lingle does, specifically in A Wrinkle in Time, is she asks really good questions. And one of the things in the book, just uh, in particular, an example I can give you is when Meg is talking to her mom about a visit that they've had from a very unusual guest. She wakes up the next morning and and tells her mom, I wish it had been a dream because I don't really understand. And what her mom says is, I've learned that you don't have to understand things for them to be. That really, it kind of, in a nutshell, is Madeline Lingle's, I think, philosophy is you don't have to understand things for them to be. You don't have to understand things to be able to talk about them and question them and have a great kind of discourse about what your curiosities are. I also love with Madeline Lingle is that she never, ever talks down to her young adult readers. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. She treats her readers as gifted poets and scientists and scholars. And she was really a pioneer in young adult literature in that way, because she wrote about real teens with real problems dealing with um, real tragedies and danger and all kinds of things in a way that no one else at the time was really doing. So with that set up, let's dive into A Wrinkle in Time. Now, this is a story at its core about a girl whose father's been missing for over a year and the adventure that she goes on to rescue him. And the way that Lingle really structured this is beautiful. It's a very short novel. Actually, it's only 12 chapters long, but it's one of those books that as you go back and reread it at different ages, you see more and more layers within it. Within this book, there are so many great things to talk to your teen about. Just kind of the basic list that I'm going to go over today are issues like bullying and conformity and friendship, good versus evil and love and self-esteem, and also a teen's relationship with their parents. Those are some big things, and I'm going to start out with the bullying. Meg is the 12 or 13-year-old daughter of two very intelligent scientists, and she herself is very intelligent as well. And because of that, and because of several other reasons, like she isn't happy with how she looks, and she doesn't like the way that teachers have her do things, there's all kinds of things that set her apart and make her feel like she doesn't fit in, and... These things make her a target for bullies, whether it's um, her peers, the girls in her grade or boys on the way home, walking home from school, um, and even some teachers who really kind of shame her because she 
she's not living up to the potential they think she has because of who her parents are. So in the beginning of the book, she is really down on herself. She she has this voice going on in her head where she's telling herself that she's a delinquent, that she never ever does anything right. So bullying is a huge factor. And when you throw in the fact that it feels to Meg like the whole town is gossiping about the fact that her father has been gone for over a year, it just makes for a really good opportunity to talk to your teen about what bullying looks like, about the fact that a lot of times adults deal with bullying as well, and the way that Meg sees her mom dealing with the gossip and the bullying and how that affects her. So again, really great opportunity for conversations. Now I'm going to move on to conformity, which may not seem like a huge hot topic issue right now, but the way that Madeline Lingle presents it within A Wrinkle in Time, I really do think that it is a great opportunity to talk to your teen about what it looks like to not conform, what it looks like to really have to fight to be yourself in a world that constantly is putting pressure on you to be the same as everyone else. Again, I think this is very related to bullying. Part of what's going on with Meg in the beginning of the story is that she does not fit in because she does not conform to kind of the norm of everyone around her. She's very different. As part of the story, when Meg and Calvin and Charles Wallace go to rescue her father, they go to a planet called Camazots. And on Camazots, something called It is in control. And It is part of the darkness or the dark thing that Meg and Charles Wallace and Calvin have discovered or been shown and they have to fight it to be able to rescue her father. And what they're fighting is conformity. This planet, Camazots, has given in to conformity. And it is kind of this central brain that controls everyone's thinking, everyone's actions. And as Meg and Calvin and Charles Wallace try to fight it, what Madeline Lingle paints is this picture of um, this force that is trying to convince them that making the decision to submit to him means they don't have to make any hard decisions for themselves. And that right there is an amazing conversation starter with your teen because who doesn't want to avoid making hard decisions? And what Madeline Lingle does with this part of the book is shows that making those hard decisions in all our flaws and all our faults is part of what makes us human. And that's part of staying in the light and staying in love is being who you are and offering your true self to the people around you and the world around you, which again is a great conversation to have with your teen. Now, one of my very favorite parts about this topic in the book about conformity is an analogy that Mrs. Whatsit gives about life and how we do life without conforming. And she talks about life being like a sonnet and how it has a strict structure that any deviation from how you write a sonnet, like the syllables and the lines and all that, makes it not a sonnet. But as you follow the structure, you have complete freedom to say whatever you want within 
structure. And she talks about life being like that. Like there is structure, there is form, but within that structure and form, we have complete freedom to make the kind of life that we want to make. So I, I've always, that stuck with me. I've always thought that that is just immensely beautiful. The next thing I'm gonna talk about is friendship. And this book is a beautiful example of finding your tribe. As I mentioned before, Meg did not feel like she had any kind of kindred spirit or really good friends within her peer group. But when she meets Calvin O'Keefe, when she and Charles Wallace meet Calvin O'Keefe, it is, a really interesting conversation that they have as they kind of dance around who are you are you safe are you one of us and really figuring out um, where you belong and what your tribe looks like and for Meg and Calvin and Charles Wallace the conversation goes something along the lines of Charles Wallace looks at Calvin and explains to him that Meg isn't one of us she's neither one thing or the other and you get this idea that both Calvin and and Charles Wallace are these new kind of human beings who can um, use telepathy and just have this greater capacity for knowledge and understanding. And when Calvin actually goes home with Charles Wallace and Meg and meets her mom and her two brothers, um, at one point, he just basically just bursts out with this, I'm not alone anymore. You know, I I have people I can talk to now. And it's this beautiful moment of connection within the story where this boy who is very much unloved and neglected at home has found the friends and the family that he belongs with. And I love this because it shows kids, and I was one of these kids, that have trouble connecting within their peer group, who have trouble finding their tribe and finding those people that there's hope there's hope that there are other people out there who might be just as strange and wacky as you are and you will find them one day and so just that alone is so encouraging and is such a great discussion to have with your teen, especially um, those of you who might have teens who are very different than their peers and you might worry about them. I know that that's a really common factor amongst moms, uh, myself included, like worrying your, that your kids are connecting within their peer group and that they have good friends and showing them and talking to them about Calvin and Meg and Charles Wallace and how they're so different, but they manage to find one another. So I, I just think that that is a great part of the story and something that you can talk about. Now, a huge issue and theme in the book as well is good versus evil. And the three Mrs.'s, Mrs. What's It, Mrs. Who, and Mrs. Which are three very um, celestial type characters who are sources of light in the universe. One is literally, one of them is literally, I think it was Mrs. What's It. She is a star who sacrificed herself in the fight against the darkness or the dark thing. And the fight here that's that's illustrated is this fight against sameness and conformity and perfection. All those things are portrayed as evil, whereas individuality and differences and your faults and imperfections are portrayed as what is light and what is good and what makes us free and, and all those kinds of good things. So this battle against the darkness is very interesting, I think, in this story, because as I mentioned before, Madeline Lingle does not shy away from showing readers that evil is real 
and that it is an ongoing fight that you are joining once you realize what the evil is, what good looks like, and what your part is and your purpose is in fighting it. And it's very interesting, I think, because she never portrays this as we've conquered it all, we've won against evil. It's portrayed as we've won this battle and you did a great job here. Now continue the fight. So I, I get a great discussion to have with your teen about, you know, it's sometimes in movies and in books, you have this happily ever after kind of ending, which is great and fun and entertaining. But in reality, in life, you have to continue the fight. You have to continue this pursuit of being yourself, of spreading light in the world and of doing good and being a part of a solution versus being part of a problem. And so I, again, I love this part of A Wrinkle in Time. The next issue, which is love, just fits right in here with that because for Madeline Lingle within the book, love is the solution. And what I find so interesting is when Mrs. Witch is talking to Meg and helping her see that she is the only one who can go back to Camazots and save her little brother, Charles Wallace, she explains to Meg when Meg is resistant that we want nothing from you that you do without grace or that you do without understanding. And this idea that you can't really say yes to something. You can't freely say yes to something unless you have the option to say no. And they're giving her this option to say no and not only giving it to her, but expecting her to say no unless she's able to say yes with grace and understanding. And that as an adult is just such a mind blowing idea, I think, in principle that you have to give the people around you, including your children, the option to say no so that they can say yes in love. Because if we're forcing or if we are dictating, then reaching their hearts and giving them the privilege and the opportunity to volunteer themselves to say yes from their heart isn't really possible if, if they're coming from this place of force and dictation. Now, that certainly doesn't mean that saying no or giving the answer no doesn't come without consequences, because even as adults, we know that sometimes saying no has huge consequences, but it's still having the choice to choose the consequences versus being forced into doing something um, that gives you that freedom to be able to say yes in love. And so with that, Meg is able to make the choice in love and to go back to save her brother. And again, with that rescue, love is very much involved as part of the solution and part of the rescue. Now, also within this issue of love, I do want to share that Christianity is very openly referenced. Jesus is brought up as someone on earth who fought the darkness. And some of the characters, um, Mr. Murray, Meg's dad, and then some of the other characters actually quote scriptures. So um, if you're looking for that, you can definitely find that within Lingle's story, which is a reflection of who she was because she was a very spiritual person. And if you read any of her other nonfiction works, you can find out more about that, which I encourage you to do. I've read 
pretty much everything that she's written. And um, obviously, as you can hear me waxing poetic throughout this whole um, time today, I just think she's fabulous. All right. The next issue is self-esteem. And from the get-go, we see that Meg has very low self-esteem. She describes herself as mousy, and she talks about her braces and how awkward she is. She feels like everything that she does is wrong. Um, she feels... Um, surly and irritated with her teachers and refuses to do the things that they want her to do the way that they want her to do them. She's been put in the bottom of her class. She has no friends to speak of until she meets Calvin. She has these super achieving parents that she feels like she's not living up to, um, not necessarily their expectations, but her own expectations of herself with regard to how much they've taught her and how much they love her. She has a mother who is beautiful and her inner voice is not kind to her. She is really struggling to speak kindly to herself with that inner voice. And in fact, once she escapes Camazots the first time with her father, but without her brother, her brother gets left behind. She really has to fight this darkness within her that is... Um, kind of prompting her to blame her dad and to say unkind things. And she's just in general, pretty miserable with who she is. So that is a really interesting aspect of the story, because from the reader's perspective, we see her as this super smart, very intelligent, relatable girl. And so having a conversation with your teen about how you feel on the inside versus how people perceive you from the outside, and then also talking to them about how when you have this voice inside you that is criticizing you and is saying to things to you in a way a tone and with words that you would never ever say to a friend because I, I truly believe I don't think Meg would ever talk to a friend the way that she talked to herself you have to change that voice you have to quiet that voice so that you are telling yourself the truth, that you are not being negative towards yourself, so that you are saying words that encourage yourself and build yourself up rather than tear yourself down. And I think for me, that was something I didn't learn until I was an adult. I don't know if that's reflective of what's developmentally appropriate or 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 what, but it is my one of my passions to um, help my own teens and other teens um, learn to train that inner voice. And in fact, that's going to be a, a future episode here on Connection Not Perfection is training that inner voice to be kind and gracious to yourself. So I hope you can have that conversation with your teen as well within the context of a wrinkle in time. And then the last issue that I'm going to touch on here is one that I feel is really important and beautifully done. I know, I know I keep repeating myself with the whole beautiful and amazing and interesting and all those kinds of things, but but truly the way that Madeline Lingle handles Meg's relationship with her parents and her family is masterfully done. She really captures this idea, first of all, that Meg doesn't realize how lucky or blessed, whatever you want to say she is by her family and the way that they love her and nurture her 
And she doesn't really get that until she becomes friends with Calvin and sees what a hard home life he has and that nobody there really cares about him and it's somewhat abusive. And so she really has this newfound sense of gratitude for her own family. And then towards the end of the book, we see that when she rescues her father, that she's expecting him to take over and, okay, I found my dad and now everything's going to be okay. And when that doesn't happen, when he can't make everything okay, when he doesn't understand who the real Charles Wallace is within the story, it is a powerful realization that her dad is human, that her parents aren't going to be able to step in and save the day for her always, that she is going to have to step up and take responsibility and do the things that have to be done that she's called to do, that it's this beautiful moment of growing up and maturing so that you see your parents as the human beings that they are versus your childlike vision of them as kind of masters of your universe. And that's a hard realization. I I remember it being a hard realization for me. I know it's been a hard realization for my kids, but it's a necessary one, I believe. And I also think that as parents, sometimes we can hold our children back from making that transition to viewing us as fellow human beings because we wanna take care of the hard stuff for them. Even Meg's dad tells her that when she is getting ready to leave to go back to Camazots, he does not want to let her go because he wants to be the one to take care of the hard stuff, even knowing that he will probably fail. And one of the Mrs.'s, I can't remember which one it was, tells him that he needs to give Meg the privilege of accepting this danger. And I think that as a parent, that is a a great reminder that we need to give our, our kids the privilege of choice, the privilege of stepping up and handling whatever challenges that they're facing. And that That is very, very hard. I don't know about you guys, but I too want to protect my kids from lots of stuff. But as they are getting older and more mature, I have to realize that I am doing them a disservice by trying to step in and solve their problems for them rather than letting them have that privilege of accepting the danger, accepting the hard. So to recap, the issues that I have highlighted and talked about in today's episode are bullying and conformity, friendship, good versus evil, love, self-esteem, and parent-teen relationships. Now that I've walked through those, I did want to share just kind of a fun fact with you. The American Library Association gives out an award each year called the Margaret A. Edwards Award, and it is given for a body of work to young adult authors. And Madeline Lingle won this award, and the ALA conference the year that she won it was in Washington, D.C., and I lived in a suburb of Washington, D.C. at the time, and I was actually able to go to the award luncheon where she was presented the award and gave her acceptance speech. And I have to tell you that 
when she walked into the room and she walked in and received an instantaneous standing ovation, all I could do was just sob hysterically. I know the ladies that I was with who were good friends and they were librarians and teachers that I worked with um, just had to laugh because I was so overcome because I was actually getting to see and hear my childhood hero in person. So it was such an amazing experience. I was so grateful that I was able to hear her speak, that I had that opportunity. And her speech was, of course, amazing. In fact, I am including a link to that speech in my show notes for you because, again, it was just such a profound moment in my life. And I wanted to share what she shared on that particular day. I am going to share a few bonus questions with you now. Thank you for sticking with me to this point in the podcast, because I do have questions, kind of the dish on A Wrinkle in Time as a downloadable that you can um, get and use to kind of guide your discussion with your teen. But these questions that I'm about to share are ones that are only here on the podcast. So I hope that you will receive them as the thank you that they are for sticking with me through this episode that's a little bit longer than normal. So number one, on the planet with Aunt Beast, Meg still had a coldness in her heart and mind from the dark thing. And it was almost an out-of-body experience as she said horrible, wounding things to her father, blaming him for everything that had happened. In fact, a quote from, from this point in the book is, she herself could not believe that it was her father, her beloved, longed-for father, that she was talking to in this way. So the question to share with your teen is this, when have you ever felt that kind of coldness of mind when you can't believe and you don't even want to believe what you're saying and how you are acting? Did you apologize once that coldness was gone? How did you handle that situation? Okay, that's the first question. Secondly, in a similar way, when Charles Wallace submits to the darkness, his thoughts and his voice are taken over by it. When have you seen someone who's been taken over by someone else's thoughts and ideas? And I don't mean this in a possessed kind of way, but more of in a blindly following someone kind of way. When, if ever, have you been overtaken by someone's way of thinking and you're not thinking for yourself? And what did that look like? And how did you realize that that's what was happening? Okay, and the third question is, Mrs. Watsit gives Meg the gift of her faults before she sends the children into Camazots. But later on, she warns Charles Wallace against his pride and arrogance and tells him that those characteristics will betray him. When have your faults ever helped you do something hard? When did they become a benefit to you? But when have those same faults or maybe different faults tripped you up and been a problem and betrayed you? Okay, so those are the questions. And at this point in the episode, I'm just going to say that is the book portion of things. And as I mentioned before, I did see A Wrinkle in Time, the movie last night, and I would like to share my thoughts on that with you. If you haven't seen the movie, I would suggest that you stop the episode here and maybe come back after you've seen it so that uh, I don't think I've done a whole 
lot of spoilers, if any, but just in case, um, I would rather you not listen to it if you're going to see the movie and don't want to learn anything about it until after you've seen it. And just remember, if you are turning it off and you would like to go to my website, theishgirl.com, to download the questions for A Wrinkle in Time, you can do that. You'll find this episode on my blog page and you can link to it there and download those questions. And I encourage you to do that. So now I'm going to give you a couple seconds to um, turn off the episode if you don't want to hear about the movie, if you're planning on seeing it and don't want to accidentally hit any spoilers. So I'm going to give you that time now. Okay, so if you are still listening, then you want to know about the movie A Wrinkle in Time and how I compare it to the book version. And Right up front, I need to let you know that one of my very deeply held core values is, and I don't think this is going to be surprising to you, that the book is always better. The book is always, always, always better than the movie. And I will say in this case, it is no exception. Um, The book has much more depth, I believe, than the movie does. But the movie is very entertaining. It's visually beautiful. I'm going to talk more about that in a little bit. But I just wanted you to know up front, I I doubt that there will be a a book-to-movie comparison that I do within the course of Connection Not Perfection where I say, oh, yeah, the movie was so much better than the book. That's just not... That would be very unusual for me. Having said that, I do understand that because of time constraints and budget constraints and all those kinds of things, um, movies have to be different than the books. Scripts have to be changed. So I, I know this and I walk into movies knowing that. So for A Wrinkle in Time, some of the bigger changes that were made to fit those time constraints and story constraints are um, the fact that some of the characters, like the twins... Sandy and Dennis have been deleted. And a big one that I thought was very interesting was that within the book, um, the Murray parents were very well respected scientists who were employed by the government. Mr. Murray was actually on a government mission when he went missing. And in the movie, the Murray parents are actually mocked for their scientific ideas and theories and discoveries. So I thought that was an interesting change. And then also in the book, the three Mrs.'s, Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's It, Mrs. Which, they were all portrayed almost like bag ladies is the impression that I got. They were described as... um, almost like what you would envision a homeless person looking like with lots of clothes and uh, rumples and and just disheveled. And so it was interesting to me and kind of fun, actually, that in the movie, the three Mrs.'s were portrayed as beautiful and fantastical and glamorous. So that was a fun difference. The other thing that was very different was that in the movie, Mrs. Whatsit was very kind of critical and scornful of Meg and really kind of gives her a hard time in a comical way. And and I think maybe that's why they did did that and added that in to give some comic relief. And it, it was funny in some ways. But in the book, Mrs. Whatsit is this very wise and nurturing and loving character who is supportive of Meg. So that was very different. And then also they cut out a pretty big part of the movie, the one where Meg and her father and Calvin leave Camazots, leave Charles Wallace behind and go to this other planet 
where there are these fan fantastical creatures who she describes almost as like ants who don't have the ability to see sight is not one of their senses and it's just a really neat picture in the book and it it's the place where Meg is really able to make the choice to go back and save her brother. And that whole part was cut out of the movie version. And I would also say that within the movie, it, which in the book is described as being this big, huge brain that kind of is pulsing and is in this uh, sterile environment. In the movie, they have changed that to where it is this kind of dark place that almost looks like tree roots and is very hellish, I would say. And so it's, it's interesting that that's a difference as well. As far as the issues are concerned and how they line up from the movie to the book, um, there's definitely still bullying in the movie. Kids make fun of Meg for her dad being gone. Conformity is not really part of the story, but friendship with Calvin showing up and really liking Meg and then becoming friends. And good versus evil, where Camazots is the evil within the movie, rather it being just this darkness, the darkness in the movie is named Camazots. And again, it is portrayed in this tangled, root, dark, hell-ish kind of way, rather than, than as that big brain. And then as far as love is concerned, it is definitely a big part of how Meg saves the day at the end of the movie. And she also, within the movie, very much struggles with self-esteem. And in fact, I would say that self-esteem issue is probably something that really drew the director, Ava DuVernay, and Oprah to the story. They really use it as a vehicle for... Um, for encouraging Meg and and promoting self-esteem and the idea that you, well, basically, I, I would say there's a direct quote from the movie where Oprah, who is playing Mrs. Witch, tells Meg that to be able to test her, which is time traveling, she must become one with the universe and herself. So it's, it's very much that message of centering yourself and um, and having good self-esteem and we see that Meg in the movie is very similar to Meg in the book where she's insecure she can't accept compliments she seems to be a little bit clumsy and unbalanced so so that's all still there and the teen parent relationship part of the movie is very different I would say from the book in that in the end, her dad actually apologizes for leaving, and and it, there's this sense that he's feeling sorry about basically having abandoned his family, and that is definitely not in the book. In fact, something I realized about the book after I saw the movie is that the book has this strong sense of purpose and mission and sacrifice. And those things are conveyed in the fact that Mr. Murray is gone and absent because he is serving the government. It's conveyed in the way that Mrs. Murray really has this acceptance and this peace about him being gone and this hope and faith that he will return 
turn. It is conveyed in Meg's choice, her very conscious choice to go back to Camazots for her brother, Charles Wallace. And then also in the idea that at the end, it's not the, okay, evil is defeated and we're going to have a happily ever after. It's very much more of a sense of purpose and mission that fighting the darkness is going to be their lifelong pursuit and passion after this adventure. So that was very different and interesting, I thought. I think it's going to be a good comparison to make once my teens see it to be able to talk about just that different sense of purpose and what it's going to look like to move forward. Now, spiritually speaking, book versus movie, I would say the movie is more finding the power within yourself and they reference kind of the universe. There's not really a reference to God or Jesus or anything like that, which was not surprising. It was just different. So the things that I loved about this movie, um, again, I've said this before, the three Mrs.'s, What's It, Who, and Which, were very fun. Their costumes were beautiful. The way they interacted with one another was really fun. And um, I would also say when they visit the planet Uriel, it was very different than the book, but visually that was one of the most beautiful parts of the movie. It's this um, beautiful planet and there's lots of uh, CGI stuff and I really enjoyed that. I also really loved the different character portrayals. They, I felt like they added to the story. And, and I will confess that before the movie, I was concerned that this vision that I have and have had for Meg and Calvin and Charles Wallace and what they look like and their mannerisms and, and features and all that, I have that in my head. I've had it in my head for decades, literally. And so seeing the characters portrayed as something different was something I was a little leery of, but I really enjoyed it. I would say that because they looked different, I was able to be open to the story in new and different ways, if that makes sense. I love how they modernized the movie to present day. Um, I loved the happy medium scenes. He was really funny and it was uh, it was an interesting part of the film that was very different than the book. Um, one of the things that he said that I loved was, it's okay to fear the answers, but you have to face them which I thought that was just a real kind of little nugget of wisdom. And the biggest themes in the movie were good versus evil, that you can choose to be a warrior and that you have power within you and that choosing family over all else was definitely a value that was portrayed. So those were the big differences with the movie versus the book. And I hope that's helpful as you uh, maybe go see it and talk to your teen about it. The movie is definitely geared towards younger viewers, I would say, but it's still like a really fun family movie to go see. That is our episode for today. I hope that you have enjoyed hearing a little bit more about A Wrinkle in Time. I hope that I have intrigued you enough to go back and read it for yourself if you haven't read it. And I hope that the movie comparison is helpful as well as you have discussions with your teens. Again, I just want to remind you that I do have a resource on my website that is a set of discussion questions based on the issues in A Wrinkle in Time that you can download. And I would encourage you to go to my website, theishgirl.com, T-H-E-I-S-H-G-I-R-L.com forward slash blog, and you will see 
um, kind of a list of my episodes there. And you can go to this one. It's episode four and you can download those questions. You can also join me on Facebook and Pinterest. I tend to hang out there a little bit during the week. And I would love to hear about the connections that you are making with your teen through the different books that you read with them and share with them and the conversations that you have. Thanks so much for hanging with me today. I've had such a great time talking about my all-time favorite book, A Wrinkle in Time. And until next time, from an ish girl who always, always, always loves the book more than the movie, just remember, It's all about connection, not perfection.